Welcome to Tangredome. I watched the... I, I caught the tail end of uh, last night's fight, uh, fight Night event. And, uh, yeah, uh, I only watched three fights uh, on the main card. But uh, the ones that I watched were... I would say they were pretty entertaining. And so there's um, a decent amount of things that uh, are worth discussing in those fights, I believe. So here it is. Here's me with a really uh, another one of those really quick Tengredomes that uh, pump out immediately after the fight. I have not revisited the fights, but uh, I, I hope that while the fights are still fresh in my memory, I would not make any egregious mistakes in evaluating what was happening in there. But without uh, really, uh, without faffing about too much, let's just get into it. So Dominic Cruz uh, and Chito Vera uh, threw down last night, and uh, it was a it was a pretty good fight. And <laughs> Dominic Cruz, for despite being thirty seven years old, uh, with a history, with a well documented and well publicized history of horrendous injuries, has put on a decent showing. Uh, even though he got finished in the end, but what both fighters did in that fight was um, there was some pretty interesting and impressive stuff in there. So uh, I guess we should start by zooming out a little bit first and like explaining w what uh, Cheetos and uh, Cruz's game plans and games usually look like. So with Cheeto Vera, um, Cheeto Vera for the longest time has suffered from uh, this... Uh, uh, this issue where he would uh, not only just give up the first round or the first couple rounds, but he would also be extremely passive during those. Like, for example, he gets taken down instead of like actively creating space to strike or to scramble up or up to his feet like he does now. He would just hold on for dear life and like hang out in guard and maybe like through like a half ass submission attempt or like uh, tap, tap the sides of the other guy's head. Oh, that kind of stuff. Right now, though, uh, he even though he still gives up the first round, or even maybe the first half of the fight, he uses it to build. It's kind of it's kind of similar to what uh, Piotr Jan does, although it's um, I would say it's slightly less nuanced in the sense that uh, Piotr Jan, for example, would give up the round but would rarely take all that much damage doing so, or give up the round in a fashion that is, like, extremely convincing, you know? if uh, Like, with Chito Vera, when, whenever he loses the first round, you, you go, oh, okay, it's Chito Vera. Like, it's Chito Vera in the first round. He lost, lost the round, okay, that's it. With uh, Piotr Jan, it's more obvious that he's building towards something, that he's making reads. And uh, with Chito Vera, it's more similar to something like, for example, Tony Ferguson does. And I've said this before uh, on the preview for this card, uh, which was, um, uh, I appeared on the Forbidden Technique podcast. I'm not sure if, uh, uh, those who are listening to this on YouTube are familiar with it, but, uh, the Forbidden Techniques, the Forbidden Technique is our new weekly show and has been coming out for, for a long while. And honestly, during my absence, they basically saved our asses. They saved the website's asses because, uh, everyone was extremely busy, but these guys, they kept up the pace. They kept up, uh, the release schedule and, uh, it's a, it's a good show, yeah. So definitely go to the Fireside Podcast Network and please check it out. So, um, 
I've said this uh, on their show, and I said that uh, with in Tony Ferguson's case, he would like he, he would take a decent amount of damage in the in the beginning of the fight, but then use that. It's almost like he's. <laughs> this will sound pretty weird, but he, it's almost like he's using his uh, face as a, as a tactile interface. Okay, this guy throws this, this guy throws that, and uh, now now I know what he's gonna throw, and so. He uses that to navigate the pocket and pour on volume and avoid uh, avoids uh, the other person's strike seamlessly in the pocket while throwing his own volume. With Cheetah Vera, it's more like, okay, he throws this and that. Uh, he connected with this, this and that. And uh, now I'm going to land that land the perfect counter to nearly kill the guy dead. And we saw that against uh, Rob Font. Uh, in his most recent outing, uh, uh, basically Rob Font almost ripped his own ass in half, throwing like hundreds of punches per round. And despite this, Chitovero would go on to just drop him or hurt him extremely badly almost every single round or even like multiple times per round with really precise, really spot on counters that he picked specifically uh, for Rob Font and like got the timing specifically like uh by well by, by basically deciding to stay on the other end and weather the storm uh, or stay on the other end of the, all those punches and kicks and weather the storm and then okay now i know what you're gonna do and it, it's also com- conceptually somewhat similar to what Piotr Jan does as well in that Piotr Jan, it's not really um it's not really precise counters in the sense that you uh, already g- get into the fight expecting these things, and so you have these pre-prepared looks that you're going to throw right away. It's more like, I'm going to punish you for attempting to do these things to me, and I'm going to punish you for that first round. <laughs> I hope I'm making sense. Like, Okay, uh, you, you threw uh, hundreds of jabs, you threw all these one-twos, you threw to my body, and I, like, and they both use the double forearms guard pretty decently to roll with shots and uh, avoid shots and just block them all together. So if you go back and watch some of the Cheeto Vera fights where the other guy outlanded him by a lot, uh, as is the case with this fight, a lot of those connections are mostly like on the arms and on the elbows or like the top of, bounce off the top of his head. So uh, he he's a... Uh, uh, he's reasonably defensively responsible. It's not like he sticks out his face and like takes every shot and then he goes, okay, now, now I'm going to get you for it. No. But the concept is there. The concept in that, uh, uh, I'm going to make you like regret ever trying to do that to me again. <laughs> and it limits the other guy's volume. It discourages the volume. It makes the other guy anxious about throwing again. And with Dominic Cruz, how, uh, on the other hand, uh, Dominic Cruz's style has undergone some changes, uh, primarily because, I mean, obviously with Dominic Cruz's history of injury and at Dominic Cruz's age, you cannot quite maintain the same style anyway. It's like, it, it's just a universal truth of fighting. But it's, it's especially evident in Dominic Cruz's case because his style was always so unorthodox. And I will say right away that I would not recommend anyone ever try to recreate Dominic Cruz's style or emulate it in uh, in a way in the same way that Dominic Cruz performs it, because while it's conceptually sound, 
And for that, we will need to explain what Dominic Cruz's style is conceptually. It's, uh, it's been born out of a need to tie his striking with his wrestling together in a reasonably seamless way to land really sharp, really uh, quick reactive takedowns, draw people into those takedowns, and uh, avoid getting blasted. Because he started, at first he started at featherweight, I believe, and some of those guys were, uh, had a... Uh, had, had a decent size advantage over him. And according to himself, he wanted to avoid uh, getting blasted off his feet by, by big guys. But uh, the reason why he uh, managed... And the popular perception of Dominic Cruz is that he's this defensive wizard whose head movement is impossible to track. And uh, he will... Uh, you, you, like, in his best days, guys scarcely landed a glove on him. Scarcely landed a single, uh, single solid blow on him uh, back in his prime, and uh, it's not really the case. Uh, it's more that his wrestling tied with his stand-up game so well together that uh, he was able to avoid most of those shots by just ducking, ducking into those level changes or uh, making other guys hesitant about throwing down with him. And it's a sound, it's a sound strategy. It's a sound concept. It's except, uh, it, the way he did it comes with multiple, uh, flaws that are tactical flaws and mechanical flaws. It's, uh, it's, um, it's flaws that were born out of his technique, the, the, the unorthodox technique that he used in order to perform all these actions. And it's uh, honestly my belief that uh, the reason why he acquired so many injuries is just because of his style. Because if you go back, like, even in, in this fight, he pranced around so much. But if you go back and you look at the way he moved, it was all these very explosive lateral mo motions. Uh, he would do this hop step. like a, oh, like it, it, It's like a triangle step. It's uh, a triangle step without the pace. Imagine like two lines going in opposite directions uh, at 45 degree angles uh, forward. And so he would hop step forward, land in a stance, then hop step backwards and then land in the, into opposite stance. And he would just, and he would simultaneously bent over uh, at the waist and at, uh, at the knees and use that to either throw it like a, like a body jab. And it's not a very effective body jab. He just touches the guy. And then he uses that to plant and launch himself forward into this really explosive double leg takedown a really like pretty much the definition of a blast double and obviously that puts a lot of lateral stress on your knees like even if you try it right now and i would only recommend you do this if you have a solid base of uh physical you know conditioning <laughs> so you don't accidentally injure yourself if you do this hop step you will feel just how much forward momentum uh, the motion carries and how much forward momentum has to be stopped by the knee put at an angle and so it just by design puts a lot of lateral pressure on the uh, ligaments of the knee and the way he punches as well the way he punches it's he always throws all his punches straight even if he throws hooks and uh, it's like uh, he launches his entire body forward into the punch and despite this the punch doesn't carry a lot of power because a lot of that power is dissipated by all that extraneous movement and uh, this is like we all know that uh, Dominic Cruz had to undergo surgery for 
a torn shoulder. And I would say, yeah, I can see why. I can see why that happened. And I can see why that he had to undergo that surgery. But besides that, uh, Dominic Cruz, the, the common, I mean, also, there's also this common perception of Dominic Cruz as having zero power in his shots. And I think we need to be more clear in, in what do we mean by that. So I think there needs to be more clarity brought to these, to this perception in that, uh, I would say that Dominic Cruz has the capacity to land with impact. He can, get your attention on his shots. And whenever he tries to throw punches straight, they clearly bother his opponents. It's just that he, it's just his style of movement doesn't facilitate proper fundamental boxing technique when you throw punches. And he's, uh, he, he, it's like uh, Danny Martin described Dominic Cruz as a technician Clearly a very smart technician with just uh, a very b- bad toolbox. It's just something that he you know, put together. <laughs> it's something he put together out of, out of scraps and stuff that he, he's found laying around his garage. And that's how he goes about doing his job. He does it. He gets the job done, but he encounters a lot of trouble doing it in the process because his, his, all his tools are just so weird. Like instead of a wrench, it's just like some kind of like, fucking rebarred with with like a with like a dinosaur's head stapled into stapled on top of it i don't know <laughs> it's just you get the idea right and so if you look back at the defeat the notorious uh, defeat of dominic cruz by uh, cody garbrandt cody garbrandt doesn't didn't necessarily like come up with this really like strategic game plan of like uh approaching it conceptually from the sense of he uses this and that positioning. He uh, circles around the cage in that direction. He sets up things uh, off that motion, off that movement uh, in this particular way. It's it was more like uh, I have faster hands, and Dominic Cruz uh, has really bad technique whenever he throws his punches, and I have the much faster hands and the much cleaner technique in boxing. So I'm gonna throw lots of two threes. And that's uh, essentially that. That that's essentially it. I'm going to use my athleticism and my superior boxing and superior boxing defense and all that stuff and the weirdness that Dominic Cruz has on entry to to counter him. And with Henry Cejudo, it was like the opposite uh, approach. Like, oh, he, he moves a lot, so I'm, oh, he moves a lot, so I'm gonna punt the legs. Gonna punt the legs, and he also does this really weird, like, lean away, ducking, like exit. He leans to the side he kind of bends over he, he rotates his shoulders and kind of leans forward like with his back straight and just runs out runs out the side and so i think i believe that's uh henry cejudo if i'm not mistaken henry cejudo got dominic cruz with the same shot that cheeto got uh, dominic cruz except except it wasn't the need it was just the same concept and they utilized the same opening but so the actual fight itself and uh, uh, so the, th- the one thing that you notice right away is that uh, Dominic Cruz comes out guns blazing, mar- throwing marching combinations, blitzing forward, throwing an, o- an enormous amount of volume and moving around way more, more in, more in the vein of his uh, earlier performances back when he was younger. 
because he clearly felt that if he that like the only way for him to beat Chito Chito Vera in this fight is to pour on so much volume and drown Chito in all this volume because otherwise Chito will find the connections and uh, uh, knock him out. And uh, unfortunately for Cruz, that's exactly what happened, despite all his efforts. So, uh, for example, if you go back a little bit and watch the Casey Kenny fight, the Dominic, Dominic Cruz versus Casey Kenny, the controversial, somewhat controversial decision, uh, I don't really care either way. I think Cruz, like, Cruz had done enough, and Casey Kenny also landed a lot of good shots, so uh, whatever. Uh, Dominic Cruz made a concerted effort to kind of stay a little bit calmer than usual and not move around as much and mostly use uh, more traditional boxing footwork. Like he would uh, step forward with the jab, he would st- make the um, the follow-up step on the right hand and he would stro- throw the punches straight. And he had a lot of success like throwing the lead uppercut, the ab jab, and he threw it normally and not, not with a, ha- a straight hand. And he, he's had a decent amount of success doing that. In this fight, he sort of went back to the usual mold, even though he was clearly not as uh, fast or explosive or... Uh, he he looked like he couldn't really keep this up quite at the same pace that he used to. <clears throat> so immediately in the first round, he comes out with lots of these marching combinations and blitzes. And uh, Chito Vera conceded the back foot immediately and he covered up and... Uh, uh, a lot of those shots connected on uh, again. The, a lot of those shots connected on the arms, bounced off the top of Cheetah's head, but some of them found their mark, and uh, Cheetah looked like uh, he didn't quite enjoy them. It wasn't like, "Oh fuck, I'm hurt. This hurts. I hate this." It was more like, "Oh okay, he's connecting. This is this is uh, this is pretty unpleasant." <laughs> it's like a, a gradation of Cheetah various responses to strikes. Like for example, against Jose Aldo, when Jose Aldo connected with like. A, uh, a straight right hand to the body and like all with a jab to Cheetah's face. Cheetah obviously very looked very uncomfortable. He was like, oh fuck, I did not expect this. Anyway, uh, the way that Cruz performs these blitzes and marching combinations, it's like um, if only he maintained his stance doing that, he, it's like he flings himself forward and the arms sort of follow him. And uh, if he maintained his stance, if he maintained better posture during those, I think he could have actually, like, uh, well, not not a wobble cheater, but uh, caused him uh, a reasonable amount of uh, discomfort. Because, um, um, and again, I'm going going to launch into my Soviet boxing spiel. If you look up the YouTube channel called, uh, in Russian, it's called Shkola Boxer Alexey Fralova, and uh, in English, I would translate it as, uh, well, Ale- uh, Alexei Frolov's School of Boxing. That's uh, A-L-E-X-E-Y-F-R-O-L-O-V. <laughs> I'm sorry, not, not, not used to spelling stuff out like uh, English speakers usually do. Uh, yeah, look that channel up and you will find, and look for the video entitled... Uh, in Russian, it's called "Как правильно психануть," and uh, in English, it's more like how how to go berserk correctly, or something like uh, how to uh, go nuts correctly. But uh, the the idea behind the video is how to throw blitzing combinations 
and uh, get guys off you if you're like in this desperate situation where the the guy just presses forward and he would just not leave you alone. You throw this really like explosive one one two three combination that is that goes like it's basically a blitz. It's a marching combination, but you maintain proper posture throughout the whole combination and you use the momentum to change stances and plant yourself and uh, like sit down on those shots. So they're clearly thrown with power, even though it's a very explosive and like wild combination. But despite this, you throw with proper technique, with proper form. Uh, your chin is covered by by your shoulders rising uh, because you, in Soviet boxing, you turn your shoulders over whenever you punch. And this way, you should be able to get guys off you. And it's not the idea is not to land with every single shot. The idea is to land with the single final shot that is like uh, the, like this jolt. It's like a left straight almost, it, even though you're throwing a jab. It's a very long strike and it hurts quite a bit. <coughs> and so, um, excuse me, and this way, you, uh, the, if uh, Dominic Cruz, if only Dominic Cruz knows the trained under a Soviet boxer, is basically what I'm saying, then he would have probably had a much easier career. But uh, alas, Dominic Cruz is Dominic Cruz, and he's neat. He's neat because of that. I uh, I think Dominic Cruz is important for the history of MMA. He's going to come come down in history of MMA as one of those weird pioneers that uh, didn't quite do things correctly, uh, but the idea was still there, and uh, uh, he was one of the first guys that clearly like really cared about positioning and out positioning your opponent and setting traps and luring your opponent into those traps with the positioning that you utilize and using footwork to move from position to position. Because most guys back then, they mostly cared about the actual hurting portion, like me throwing strikes. Me throw lots of strikes, me throw uh, big punches and me win. With Dominic Cruz, it was more nuanced than that, even though the way that he went about performing the actions isn't quite ideal. But in the actual fight, so Dominic Cruz wins the first round handily, okay. Uh, <laughs> and the second round, uh, he still, uh, they both look pretty, like, visibly worse for wear after that first round. Like, Dominic Cruz is all sweaty and kind of, like, looks tired. And uh, Chito Vera uh, looks pretty uncomfortable with the pace. So props to Dominic Cruz to, like, at the at his age with his history of injuries, once again, coming out, like, like blasting in all cylinders. It's, uh, it's pretty crazy. It was pretty crazy to watch, actually. And uh, I guess th- with Dominic Cruz, uh, he's always looked like he's uncomfortable with the base he's setting, but he was always fine. It's kind of like a Dustin Poirier thing. So, uh, anyway, the second round comes, and uh, Dominic Cruz still attempts the same thing, things that he does, and then Chito Vera just connects with this... Uh, I think it was a left straight counter. I, I, this is. I'm starting to regret not catching up on the fight. Uh, hang on, I'm gonna look up the clip. I'm gonna look up the actual clip. I think I, it should be on the fight pass by now. Okay, so I'm sort of skimming through the fight, and uh, I forgot to point out that Dominic Cruz had initially had lots of success landing some really pretty takedowns. Really, really nice. Really great timing on them. Great entries. Like, uh, just. Uh, got Chito Vera to the ground like nobody's business. It's just that Chito Vera's uh, defensive uh, grappling and wrestling has improved quite a bit. 
And uh, from then on, Chito Vera would start to sprawl right on top of Cruz, uh, like on a dime, and uh, limp leg out of single leg attempts with uh, not much issue. And uh, I guess on one hand, Cruz could be like not uh, selling out on those takedown attempts, but on the other hand, it's still pretty impressive that uh, still pretty impressive to see how much uh, Vera's. Uh, game has grown over the years and how much his uh, wrestling improved over the years. The other thing that I, that stands out to me, uh, upon revisiting the fight is that Dominic Cruz has, is doing, has been doing a, a great job of putting his kicks and punches together during the fight. Like, uh, even though the, the kicks were still pretty ugly, he, they, the, the combinations were pretty cohesive and he would feint and he would use kick feints and he would use uh, the, like punching feints to set up his strikes. And he would um, find uh, a certain amount of success uh, throwing calf kicks. Uh, but then again, uh, with uh, Chito Vera, you have to really like commit to some sort of... Uh, to the damaging strike of your choosing. And from uh, the second round onwards, Chito Vera would start checking those kicks hard. Pretty much every single kick uh, from that point onwards was checked. And so this obviously affected Dominic Cruz's movement as well. And Chito Vera has been also like, started like, he's, after the first round he got uh, a bead on Cruz's timing, as he tends to do. And so sometimes he'd also throw this uh, uh, low-line sidekick to Cruz's knee. He would stand southpaw. And he would stand southpaw for large portions of that fight. Vera usually switches stances more readily and more often. In this fight, he picked a side. He picked a side and he decided to, I'm going to fight open stance and I'm going to punish Cruz for throwing noise. Always all that stuff that he does. And <laughs> like after the fight, uh, I believe that uh, Chito Vera, uh, like uh, in the post-fight interview, he said that Dominic Cruz does everything technically wrong. So basically, you could see that Chito Vera essentially treated Dominic Cruz like as... Uh, Throwing just, he's just he's just throwing stupid shit. I'm gonna go ahead, gonna get in there and knock him out. (laughs) To quote Tiger Showman, and I mean that's how you that's essentially how you beat Cruz in this day and age, and it's it's a it's the correct approach, I would say. And yeah, and so (laughs) I'm watching the clips now, and uh, Dominic Cruz looks pretty haggard. Yeah. And uh, Chitavera is doing markedly well than uh, I seem to think watching live because I was getting, I was growing kind kind of frustrated with Chitavera because uh, uh, I did not like his inactivity for large stretches of those fight uh, of that fight because uh, with Rob Font the knockdowns were much more frequent and much more obvious. He obviously hurt Rob Font. Uh, much more badly than he did Cruz. And then again, Cruz is also like one of the most durable fighters in the history of MMA. It's part of, funnily enough, it's also part of what has enabled his success in the cage, even though everyone perceived him as this elusive, uh, really like weird guy that is extremely hard to pin down. But here, Chitovera is tracking Cruz's movement, head movement, and uh, connecting with lots of straight punches, outlanding him in the pocket. In terms of uh, significant, painful connections, I would say. 
And there are sequences in which you can see Cheetah Vera putting together combinations that are clearly meant to hurt Dominic Cruz into head kicks. And so it wasn't like in if you're watching if you're watching this fight live, you you might have thought that oh, Cheetah Vera just threw a head kick and knocked Dominic Cruz out. No. Chitavera, he knew what he was doing. He came in uh, into the fight with uh, with a clear game plan, and uh, it's just that in the post fight interview, you mo- you may wonder, watching this fight, why Chitavera is not throwing like uh, uh, a lot of leg kicks, and uh, Chitavera has confessed to uh, having trouble tracking Dominic Cruz down at first and landing and uh, finding the le- the leg kicks and. Uh, He's found the body kick on occasion, and uh, I was kind of growing frustrated with him watching the fight. I was like, throw the body kick, throw the body kick, come on. But uh, it ended up not mattering. (laughs) And from the second round onwards, uh, as I was saying before, is that... uh, As I was saying, uh, Dominic Cruz's connection started uh, finding their mark. uh, Dominic Cruz's punches started finding their mark less and less frequently to the point where pretty much most of his volume has become empty at this point. At the mid, uh, I think, mid-fight, it was basically clear that Chito Vera has now figured out Dominic Cruz's timing and the way that he kind of figured out how to deal with the weirdness of Dominic Cruz, and so he started punishing it from the get-go. Lots of solid left straights, lots of right hooks, lots of left hooks. Uh... And uh, I, I wanted Chito Vera to kind of punish the extreme ducks that Dominic Cruz performs with uh, maybe knee attempts and uh, uh, uppercuts. But in retrospect, uh, I might think that uh, I kind of think that maybe he passed up on that opportunity to not scare Dominic Cruz away from that uh, leaning motion that led to the finish. On the other hand, it, it would have also opened Dominic Cruz up to straight punches, but. Uh, Sometimes in fighting, uh, not every, not every opening is worth exploiting, if that makes sense. But what what do I mean by that? Like personally, whenever uh, I spar and uh, whenever I train, and uh, in uh, because of I think because of my experience, like experiences growing up in Russia and uh, getting into uh, like altercations that I I'm sad I sadly cannot confirm. But on the other hand, I also can, can, can't can go around yelling like, oh, I have a 400-0 record in street fights. But yeah, I, I've had to get into it on a couple of occasions. I'm sure that's not beyond the pale for a person from Siberia. You know, forgive me for going to this argument, but it is what it is. But uh, I am kind of like a very impulse-driven, finish-oriented individual. And sometimes I personally just lose sight of which openings I can afford to pass up on to set something better, to set up something better down the line. Or like hit them in passing to go sort of like, eh, I see ya, see ya, there's an opening there. And sort of plant this idea uh, into my opponent's head to to make him worry about it and then do something else instead. So to preoccupy their minds with that opening and instead just when in fact I'm actually using it as a diversion tactic. For example, I don't know. What would be a good example? Uh, Let's let's imagine your opponent is uh, 
Uh, let's imagine your opponent is very concerned about your overhand. And for the sake of the argument, let's picture your opponent is very uh, fond of the shoulder roll. He's fond of shoulder rolling your right hand. And so... Uh, okay, so you time the, uh, the overhand uh, with uh, the dipping jab. You throw the jab to the body. And then you immediately throw the... Uh, um, and you throw like... Uh, and then instead of throwing the overhand, because the opponent expects the overhand, you throw to the body. You throw a right straight to the body, and uh, the opponent goes, "Okay, you got me," but you still you're still threatening with the overhand, and you you creep forward, you creep forward, you pressure. Again, you throw the dipping jab, and then you do another dipping motion as if you're going to throw the uh, uh, right straight to the body. But instead, you use the dipping motion to kind of like launch yourself into an overhand and connect with the overhand. And provided your opponent is still pretty durable, uh, the opponent survives that attempt. And so he's even more conscious about the uh, overhand coming in and the need to shoulder roll uh, right now. And so you're pressing, 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 and the opponent starts like circling to the side. You threaten with the overhand, gonna put your weight on the on your front foot, and the opponent goes, oh fuck, here comes the overhand. And instead you use that Momentum to do a switch kick and you kick the other guy in the head. <laughs> Does that make sense? And it's kind of what uh, Chito Vera has done in this fight uh, at the very finish. Uh, so Chito Vera in the final round has started working from southpaw. He started much more often, even more often than he did before. And so he started throwing lots of really committed left straights. Really committed um, one-twos from uh, the southpaw position and uh, I think he threw a bunch of right hooks to make Dominic Cruz circle in the direction he wanted him to. I'm not sure. Uh, I mean, I have the clip, I have the footage right here. I should just look at it. <laughs> Give me a sec. Huh. okay, okay, I see it now. So, remember what I said about Cheeto being committed to the open stance? Uh, it's not, it's a bit more nuanced than that. Chito Vera used the orthodox stance to make Dominic Cruz circle to his power side because Dominic Cruz wants to circle to his power side to land the jab. And um, then when Dominic Cruz like start like got set on moving to that side, he would switch stances and then do the opposite and make him circle to the other side. Uh, I mean, I'm generally not a fan of lots of switch, uh, stance switching, but the way that Chito Vera does it and the way that Piotr Jan did it against uh, Sanhagen, I think that's, uh, that's really clever, and I like that. I like seeing that. And there's the finish. So, 246 of the fourth round. Before that, uh, Chito Vera was throwing lots of and lots of committed one-twos from both stances, making Dominic Cruz circle to the side, because Dominic Cruz doesn't necessarily like avoid straight punches, uh, in, the, in the most economical fashion. He doesn't just dip his head down from side to side to slip the punches or like put his arms up and take them on the gloves on, on the arms. He just does this, does these, uh, I would say, dramatic exits to one side or the other. He uses lateral motion to avoid uh, straight shots coming in. And that sets up the the finish. Uh, Chito Vera has essentially croc-opped uh, Dominic Cruz uh, the southpaw double attack, the open stance double attack, uh, whatever you may call it. 
uh, using the threat of the uh, rear straight coming in to set up uh, the head kick. And that's one of the more clever uses uh, uses of that uh, strategy because uh, uh, with a lot of fighters who do the double attack stuff, they kind of just, they only do the double attack. Um, Chito Vera used the double attack as a tool to get the finish instead of just, oh, this is my thing for this fight now. I'm going to use the open stance double attack throughout the whole fight. And if it did that, I would argue that he, he would have lost the fight on the scorecards. Simply because of all the sheer volume that Dominic Cruz threw and because the double attack is quite easy to figure out if it's the only thing you do. But here, used appropriately, used in a specific situation for a specific opponent. Really great stuff and really like gnarly finish, like Cruz was completely out of it. If if against Henry Cejudo you could dispute that Dominic Cruz is, is extremely tough and he could have gotten up and maybe continued the fight. I have no issue with that stoppage. Um, I think that it's just that... I think Cruz clearly got concussed in that fight. It's just that Cruz is still so tough that he immediately came to his senses. And he was fine afterwards. But the fight was stopped now. So uh, he, he got... Uh, that's, why, that's the reason why he got so angry. And here... Just flatlined. Falls over. Face first. Just... Really, really nasty finish and really cool too. Completely smashed Chito Vera completely smashed Dominic Cruz's nose to pieces with that with that head kick. Uh, yeah, that's uh, that's essentially the fight. <laughs> uh, there's lots of really neat stuff in there, lots of really like interesting exchanges, lots of interesting uh, conceptual stuff to break down. But uh, that I think I. I've hit most of the points that I wanted to hit, the stuff that stood out to me watching that fight. I guess the one thing that bears mentioning is Dominic Cruz's utilization of takedowns and how he historically used to utilize those takedowns is that he would, again, he used used the hop step to launch himself into the staggered stance that favors uh, getting in on the shot. And uh, here it's kind of like the same thing. He draws Chito Vera into this uh, trap that he set with, uh, with with the staggered stance. He would kind of use the staggered stance to draw Chito Vera into him, and then you launch himself at his uh, launch himself into a leg attack. It's something you could. Uh, I, I'm not sure if you should emulate it in training. It's kind of fun to play around with, but you're better served with uh, drawing. Uh, drawing uh, committed uh, connection, committed uh, strikes, normally utilizing normal uh, fundamental boxing footwork, and then then you could go get to your knees, and then you could uh, launch yourself into a takedown. And the MMA, in MMA, wrestling from your knees is—I um, mean, it's not always like the best idea uh, because it, I mean, in actual wrestling, when you wrestle, you wrestle from a staggered stance, you wrestle from like hunched over. <clears throat> well, not hunched over in the sense that your back is like round and you're like, uh, it's more in the sense that you lower your level. And in MMA, lowering your level might take that uh, extra bit of time that uh, you can you can't afford. When you're wrestling in transition, it, it can be okay to just bend over at the waist and just ram yourself, ram your upper body into your opponent. It's fine because they are already. They're also in a very tall stance for wrestling. <clears throat> and 
taking their legs out from underneath them is a much easier proposal than uh, than it is in actual wrestling. So things to watch out for this fight. Watch out for the way that uh, Chito Vera uh, switches his stances. And whenever he switches his stances, Chito Vera is one of those fighters where you actually have to ask yourself, what is Chito Vera trying to set up here? It's uh, He's not switching stances mindlessly for no reason. Uh, what's next for Dominic Cruz? I don't know. Maybe... I don't know. I'd like him to retire, honestly. He's 37. He's uh, taken. Uh, he's been getting knocked out lately. I mean, it's, it's, he's. Uh, he could still beat someone like Pedro Munoz, and he did, in fact. But uh, the bantamweight, it's uh, it's a very ruthless division. It's a very dangerous division. Uh, I don't know. Maybe like Aldo versus Cruz. <laughs> but then, <laughs> that's mostly me wanting uh, Jose Aldo to get that last win before he retires as well. I don't know. I don't know. As for Chito Vera, uh, the winner of Yano Mali, I guess, and uh, I don't think it would be a controversial thing to say that I expect the winner to be Piotr Jan, and Piotr Jan versus uh, Chito Vera would fuck. It, it's, it's like the thought of it makes me salivate. It's going to be a really, really awesome fight. I'm not sure if Sandhagen is booked. I haven't kept up with MMA. All, all that well uh, for reasons that I hope should be obvious and uh, the Sandy versus Cheeto fight is it's going to be very interesting because I think Sanhagen might be a little bit too much for Cheeto Vera like his volume and his toughness is exactly the combination that uh, may actually finally cause Cheeto Vera to lose on volume in his recent run uh, we'll see so the rest of the card, uh, well, <laughs> the rest of the card that I actually watched, Nate Landwehr versus uh, David Onama. What a silly, silly fight! It's, it was extremely ridiculous. It's uh, I saw people say uh, that this is a, like I, I saw someone say that it, it, this is a Hall of Fame fight, and uh, I mean, fucking, it, what are you smoking? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I guess if there was a Hall of Fame for silly fights, then yeah, sure. But uh, David Anama comes out like, you know, styles on Landwehr. And I'm sorry I'm going to pronounce the name like in the German fashion because uh, it's just easier for me. So David Anama styled on on Nathaniel Landwehr <laughs> and boxed him up. And then Landwehr comes out and uh, starts like, Completely overwhelming, overwhelming Onama with volume and uh, fucking him up on the ground. And so at that certain at a certain point, Nate Landwehr started thinking that he won the fight and that the fight was stopped. I don't know what happened there, but he just uh, he let go of Onama, who was currently curled up on the ground getting beat up, and started circling the cage with his arms raised and celebrating. And I don't know, maybe he was like trying to showboat, like I got this in the back so I can afford do to do so, but what a bizarre decision. It's, it's just it's the type of brain thinking I I can scarcely understand. I I, I have a hard time understanding uh, most showboating anyway, because I have this like, you know, uh joyless post-Soviet brain, but uh, at the same time but this is I think 
even those guys who li- love showboating uh, when fights a showboat will, would agree with me that this was extremely stupid. And Landvet did it twice. And it, in doing so, he let David Onama get some of his bearings back. And even though Onama was completely knackered, he almost, almost got it back. And uh, I have nothing else to say other than, like, what the fuck are you doing, Nate Landver? <laughs> got the decision in the end, but... Eh... So anyway, and uh, the last fight I watched on this card, like I woke up uh, pretty late, and so I only caught uh, uh, the um, the women's strawweight fight, which was actually pretty good. It was pretty decent, even though both girls had uh, essentially no defense, but it lacked the usual uh, WMMA staples of. Uh, uh, both girls standing like 5,000 feet away from each other and just pumping in the air, pumping their fists in the air. So I hope I'm g- pronouncing these names correctly. So it was uh, Yasmin uh, Jaraguay and the uh, Yasmin Lucindo. And um, both girls, extremely young, only 20 years old, uh, 20 and 23 years old. And... Uh, you could clearly see it. They kind of like have this over-eagerness in them. Whenever whenever you see young fighters fight, they're kind of... The decision-making sort of lacking, but they're very willing to exchange, and uh, it made the f- that, that's what made for a really fun fight. Um, I would say Jaraguay got the decision, and I'm still not sure if I'm pronouncing it correctly. If if someone someone else knows the correct pronunciation, please correct me in the comments. So she got the decision, and I agree with that decision because her connections were much more crisp and clean. And she had an edge in hand speed, and I think the reason why she had an edge in hand speed is because is because uh, she simply has cleaner technique. Uh, Lucindo, on the other hand, she her punches clearly have more heft to them. But she also has the same problem like uh, as Dominic Cruz does or like, for example, Justin Gagey does whenever he throws his left hook is that she would throw her punches really wide and really loopy and it dissipates a lot of the energy and a lot of those left hooks that she threw. And there were a couple of really funny, there were lots of really funny sequences where they would both throw the left hook at the same time and connect. They would both clang each other with the left hook, but uh, Jaraguay's left hook is much more crisp, uh, is much more crisp. It's cleaner and it connects on the point of the chin, so it actually like uh, hurt, uh, um, actually hurt Lucinda, uh, even though it didn't like put her on queer street or anything. But it was much a much cleaner, much more precise connection. And Lucinda's left hook came on this really wide arc, uh, almost like outside of her own field of vision, and connected with the door knocking knuckles, which dissipates a lot of the energy. It's a big no-no in my book. But the the shot was heavy enough that uh, the other Yasmin kind of uh, went, oh, fuck, I didn't like that. But they still went into it. And they they both maintained their stance. They weren't formless or aimless in any way. They clearly like paid attention to staying within their stance and maintaining that balance in order to throw lots of shots. And even though the entries were less than stellar, in the sense that they both sort of threw 
themselves at, at each other. Um, I was still impressed with the pocket exchanges. It's uh, it's something that happens very rarely, and it's also, I mean, yeah, this fight is basically like an example of why strawweight is the best women's division, and uh, also uh, it makes a case for like creating women's atom weight, and even going even lower. I mean, like, why does women's women's 145 even exist i mean come on what are we doing we could have had this every weekend every time <sighs> fucking ufc man but yeah the, um i think um like jack slack talked about how the reason why women have poor striking is because it's just the training situation it's just that uh, it's less than ideal they frequently have to spar with men and not into gold, uh, and I'm not trying to go into this ridiculous spiel about just man being stronger, but uh, uh, more suited for physical tasks. But uh, it's just a, a fact that uh, a man will have more mass, and uh, it's the the upper body strength, and uh, the connections will hurt more. And a lot of guys, <clears throat> a lot of guys don't know how to spar with women, women and uh, it's a, a skill you need to learn as a guy. I think, like as a common courtesy, if you have lots of girls in your on your team, just so they can actually develop proper uh, boxing correctly and proper striking correctly, and uh, like like that's the solution aside from just having more women come into the sport and uh, create women's gyms. I don't know. Uh, I'm not sure as, as to the training situation of both Yasmins, but uh, they clearly. Spar. They clearly spar a lot, and they clearly have the, the uh, reactions of someone who spars a lot. They just don't have the defensive reactions yet. And something you can fix with lots of drills. Uh, mm. Do partner drills. Start out slow. Like for, for first you throw one twos, then you throw one two threes, then you add, start adding uppercuts in, and then kicks. But you you make uh, you yourself have to defend the shots, and then you have to come back with a counter or something else. And that way, slowly, over the course uh, of your training, you start building and you add stuff and you develop the vision necessary to, uh, to, to get that defense and get the defensive reactions in. Yeah, uh, but I would very much enjoy seeing more of them. It's, it's, it was a cool fight. And it's, it's a fight where uh, saying that this was a decent fight would not be condescending or patronizing, which is something I hate whenever people talk about uh, women's MMA in that you could clearly see both girls like committing tons of technical like in fights where you can clearly see both girls committing tons of technical and uh, strategic and uh, all sorts of other mistakes and people would go oh these girls are so fucking tough they're so good they would beat up all the guys in the upper divisions and yada 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 blah 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 fucking blah and that's just I think I don't know. I, I'm not trying to speak on behalf of women, but to me personally, it comes across as patronizing and insulting. Like, if you want to grow, if you want double women's MMA to grow, and if you want MMA in general to grow, be honest. These girls, they work their asses off. Same as anybody else training for MMA. So the one thing you can do is offer constructive criticism so they can train and they can grow and they can address those criticisms. 
I mean, fucking Amanda Nunez versus uh, Juliana Pena just happened last, like the, the rematch happened uh, last week, I think, not too long ago. No, no, no. Happened two weeks ago. And uh, it was a completely like ridiculous fight and just extremely primitive. It was basically like a 2008 adaptation on uh, on behalf, uh, like uh, on part of Nunez. And saying that this is our women's MMA go-to, I think is just... Uh, uh, Kind of disingenuous. It doesn't sit well with me. We have room to grow. We have to have standards in order for the sport to grow. And you ha- don't have to coddle these girls. They're fighters. They're professional fighters. Don't even think of them as girls, is my point. A fighter is a genderless entity meant to crave violence and cause violence and... Uh, uh, get the bell rung by other such uh, other similar genderless entities you know <laughs> so <laughs> that that's my approach but, okay so uh that was the extent of the fights that i watched uh, people people have been talking uh, say, saying that i should catch up on uh uh on bruno silva versus gerald mishat because it was funny or like impressive, I don't know. I like Mishad. I mean, uh, uh, I would just call him GM three. It's really hard for me to pronounce his name. I'm sorry, Gerald, but uh, not a native speaker. But, uh, the shot is uh, a very like he's he's kind of inspiring in a way. He's the slowest guy in all of MMA. and he still tries to be defensively responsible. He tries to do stuff pr- properly and correctly, but uh, it's it, it's kind of like the male version of um, uh, uh, the, he's the male version of Roxanne Madaferi. <laughs> this, this may be substituted as as an extreme insult, but I mean that's kind of, that makes sense, doesn't it? Uh, anyway, I will try and watch that fight. And uh, so, uh, me and Silas from the Forbidden Technique podcast have recorded. Uh, a couple of pieces of alternate commentary in preparation for this uh, fight night card. We watched uh, a Cheetah Vera fight, the uh, Cheetah versus uh, Frankie Edgar fight, and uh, Dominic Cruz versus Casey Kenny. Hence why I have lots of examples of Dominic Cruz performing stuff against Casey H- Kenny. And so, makes sense, right? So, uh, check that commentary out on our Patreon. And uh, I think... Um, I think I'm going to try and do some alternate commentary for for some of those or some of the fights that I've just talked about because there was interesting stuff in there. I would like to I would like to uh actually watch uh, revisit those fights and uh, point out some other uh, like little tiny technical details. Uh beyond that I'm working on a bunch of articles and uh, I'm not I'm honestly not sure whether or not which one of those will be finished. Uh, if at all, but uh, I'm working on those. I have lots of ideas. All this inactivity, even though I've, uh, and uh, I guess this uh, this is the uh, jumping off point for my ne- for what I'm going to say next. I've been kind of I've been basically like on the run for five months, and I couldn't produce, but I still had stuff floating around in my head, and I would like to uh, act on it. Well, yeah, as I said, I've been on the run for five months and I'm going to make an important, an important announcement soon. And I'm going to, there's going to be uh, a release. Uh, we're going to release a post 
on the fight site, the actual site, where I detail uh, all my experiences so far. And uh, honestly, it's going to be a plea for help. And uh, I think I'm going to record a companion piece, a podcast detailing all my misadventures uh, over the course of uh, the last almost half a year. But uh, long story short, yeah, not doing too well, not doing too hot. The in- my inactivity meant that we lost a lot of patrons on the fight side and our income fell. And I've relied on that income to actually like uh, to survive, essentially. <laughs> because um, so to to just uh, the general thing is that uh, me and my wife have been country hopping all this time and the patrons and uh, the colleagues uh, from the fight side have helped us out immensely they're the reason why this this is possible but uh, our fund that we collected together sort of like silently or hush hush like because we were concerned about uh, our safety and we only did this within uh, the circle of uh, the fight side guys and uh, our patrons uh, but that fund has now dried up uh, we'll still have a roof over our heads for the upcoming future at least three months but aside from the like the allowance which is like 400 bucks per month um, uh, there's no money coming in anymore and uh, unfortunately well, me and my wife me and my wife are forced to um, we'll be forced to do a fundraiser and the details will be revealed in the uh, upcoming posts that I mentioned and in the, in the companion piece. That's, uh, the companion piece, Tengridome. It's going to be like Tengridome special or like Tengridome announcements or whatever. Uh, yeah. Um, so, yeah, uh, we, we'll, we are forced to go outside the this um, circle of TFS, uh, the fight site adjacents. And uh, just beg people. Beg people for help. Um, I don't feel too hot about the prospect of it, but it's just... uh, Otherwise, we'll be forced to return to Russia if we run out of money. And uh, I think it should be understandable why I do not wish to do that and why I do not wish to inflict that on my wife. And our families are both still stuck in Russia, and the goal here is to get through the tough times, immigrate somewhere, settle somewhere, find employment that will pay well, that will pay by uh, first world country standards, and uh, figure out a way to get our families out. And unfortunately, in order to accomplish that, we'll need to rely on fundraising. But yeah, anyway... The details will be released. So far, what you can do is subscribe to our Patreon to support uh, all this and um, to support to support my further continued existence as a living, breathing human that can still release content. <laughs> and and yeah, there's um, now that I'm kind of back, I have my foot kind of like trying to eke my way back into my mojo. I'm gonna try and release more Patreon content, and the guys. Silas and the Forbidden Technique guys are going to try and release more content, and I think Ed has uh, found some time to actually like, get back into his groove as well. So there's going to be content, and there are still lots of content beyond that. 
it's well worth your three bucks per month. And I mean, it's fucking three bucks per month. A lot of us are just doing this. Uh, a lot of the stuff are doing this for free on sheer enthusiasm. And me, uh, I, I just do this because I have no other source of income. And if I have, uh, I, I cannot. And because I'm country hopping, I don't have work permits and I can't find work other than uh, in any way other than illegally. And I don't want to risk deportation and I don't want to risk like finding a job where I'm going to be exploited or anything like that. So I need the patron and uh, we need the patron to continue to function. We're kind of, Ed is working at a loss to keep the work, to keep the website up and keep all the subscription services up that we use to release content efficiently. And uh, yeah, we, we could really use your help. And there's also the Discord server that I've been shilling for all the, all this time. It's like, it's a we've built a really great community, and without them, none of this would have been possible. And uh, even during my leave of absence, I've done my best to stay in that community and be active in it. I am constantly in the Discord, uh, in the Discord, interacting with our community, offering analysis, and advice, and training advice, like stuff like training advice and. Uh, uh, advice on technique and uh, I have helped many Discord members with their training and they can vouch for me and it's a service I am always willing to offer. The community itself is really great and I guarantee you'll get your money's worth. Like Long-lasting friendships have been made uh, have been made there and more can be made besides. If you want to interact with like-minded fight fans that are intelligent that care about the sport and that also train and also would be really willing willing and eager to exchange training advice, this is the place for you. And uh, we also host uh, voice chat parties and fight watch parties. Uh, just get in there. Get in touch with everyone. Make friends. Uh, so on that note, uh, watch out, be on the lookout, please be on the lookout for the uh, official release where I explain my situation in detail and it's going to have input from other staff members where they vouch for me and they confirm that this is all real and I know it's going, like, I, I, I would very, I would be very happy to provide details and proof of my identity to really, like, uh, make it, make an ironclad case that I'm not, like, trying to dupe you into donating money for a cause that doesn't exist but i can't do that i would that would have to be i would have to reveal personal details and i don't want to put myself and my family and my wife in jeopardy i'm sorry uh, yeah uh so yeah stay tuned for that and stay tuned for uh, further content releases and subscribe to our patreon and uh check out the fight side podcast network this is where most of our content uh, currently is, is currently hosted and most uh, Forbidden Technique episodes. It's a really great show. I really highly recommend it. So, uh, yeah, on that note, uh, I hope you've enjoyed the episode. Uh, I'm out. Cheers. Cheers.